0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, I heard uh, a poem um, ish thing uh, not too long ago. And after I heard it, I thought to myself that's why we sing. That's why we come and we gather and we collectively do something that we can't do apart. And so, um, I have asked my good friend Louisa to read uh, a poem for us. And so, um, as we begin, I would encourage you to just uh, really listen to this, to let it wash over you. If you need to close your eyes and and, uh, to really kind of hear the words, Lou is going to read nice and slow for us. Um, This is called You Are Already So Loved. You don't have to be productive, and you don't have to change the world. You're already so loved. You don't have to be smart, you don't have to be simple. You don't have to read all the right books by all the right people. You're already so loved. You don't have to be beautiful and thin. You don't have to be healthy in your mind or in your body. You don't have to be in full-time vocational ministry. You can watch horrible television or you can be proud of your televisionless home. You can be artistic or scientific. You you can spend your life traveling to meet beautiful people, or you can live and die in the town where you were born. You don't have to be straight or white or powerful. You can be from the wrong side of the tracks. You can work with your hands and your mind, your back and your brain. You don't have to, to be educated, not at all. You don't have to have a degree or letters after your name. You don't have to know the right people. None of that moves the meter of your belovedness. God won't say, okay, now I love her just a bit more because, look, she's finally out of debt or thin or powerful or influential or tireless. Your family story can be beautiful or terrible. Or, like most of us, it's likely a bit of both. Perhaps you're famous or well-known or influential. That's okay. You don't have to be a mother or a father. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be single. You don't have to want children or raise children. You can you don't have to be sober or clean. You don't have to give away everything you own and take a vow of poverty. You don't have nothing to prove. You have nothing to earn. Love can and does and will transform us in every way. Our opinions, our habits, our values, our prior priorities Our very names. But it's not a requirement. It never is. Not for love. Love has happened and it is happening and it will happen. You are already so loved. You are not earning a breath of love or tenderness more than what you already have. Just by breathing. Just by existing. Just by being here in the wonder. Your name is already written in the lines of the hands of the universe. You are beloved, intimately, faithfully, Holy. You are known. You are loved with delight and abundance, with choice and desire, with covenantal love. And watch now. The places of weakness will become places of strength. Your desert will bloom with flowers. The well will never run dry. Everything will be redeemed. You are so loved. You are so loved. You are so loved.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, hi. <laughs> I hate to uh, interrupt this buzz, but uh, let's wrap it up here.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, round two of the lights. <laughs> well, hi, everyone. My name is Jennifer. we haven't met. I work with our students here at Awaken, and today, I get to teach, so thanks, Micah. <laughs> um, this morning we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from our Hebrews that we've been, our series that we've been in in Hebrews, and we're going to be studying a passage in Mark today. So I grew up in church, and I I would say that I was probably like a mediocre Bible learner, <laughs> and for the most part, like you have those stories. Um, that are super familiar. And this particular passage has kind of taken on a new life for me this year. Um, So I have the privilege of getting to share that with all of you. And I wanted to start by sharing a piece of myself that a lot of you probably don't know. I would guess that probably the majority of you would never guess this about me, depending on how well you know me. And it's this. I hate being in front of people which makes this a little awkward. <laughs> but I do. I genuinely hate being in front of people. It gets even weirder when you consider the fact that I'm in seminary to be a pastor, which last time I checked, that's a pretty visible role. Is that would, oh, every week you're in front of you? Okay. Oh, yeah. That's, that's still true. Um, so I started to reflect on why that was true for me this past year. Um, part of it is because I'm a pretty naturally reflective person. That's kind of my jam. Um, But also because I'm in seminary and they make us reflect on everything. It's like, I know I have control issues. I don't want to to write a paper on it. It's very confronting. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, But the truth is, is that that's real for me. And so as I started to kind of engage that, I realized this. I am afraid to be found out. I am afraid that I don't have what it takes. I am afraid to make the wrong move and to suffer the consequences, and even worse, for other people to have to suffer the consequences, because what you see of me is somebody who's pretty put together. I think out everything before I say it. I'm impeccable at matching, I don't know if you guys have noticed this about me, but 9 out of 10 times my fingernails match my outfit. And if it doesn't match it, at least compliments. Like, neutral, pop a color. <laughs> <laughs> that cannot be taught. You are born with that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I do. I, I think about things like that. And when I go in front of people, I think about it even more. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) The truth is, though, is that I am afraid of what you will think. And I stand here in front of you vulnerable today, afraid that you will see me in a moment of my weakness and make up your mind about me based on that. So, when I begin to engage that reality and this need that is bubbling beneath the surface, I realize that I am a fraud in a lot of ways. I am in need, and 90% of the time, I distract myself with things like matching and making sure that you all don't see me stumble. I am in need. And now I say all of that, not for you, after the service, to come up to me and tell me how great I am. I say all of this because I know that I'm not alone in the room. I have a hunch that you all have what I have. It just might come out in different ways. So today, we are going to be studying from Mark, chapter 10, verses 46, and there are a couple things that you need to know before we engage the text today. The first thing you need to know is what immediately precedes it. So right before this, uh, there's this passage that some of you might be familiar with. I like to call it the James and John power play. That's that's a theological term. It's not. I made that up. But it's basically the part where James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, approach Jesus and they ask for seats of power at his right and left hand as he enters the kingdom in glory. Which is essentially to say to all of the other disciples, like, screw you guys, we want power. Which is a bold request, and Jesus rebukes them. But here's the thing. It's as if they haven't been around Jesus for the last three years. It's like they forgot when he said, the last will be first, the least will be greatest in my kingdom. It's like they can't see him. The second thing you need to know is that our passage is happening while Jesus and his disciples and a crowd is traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so where we are today is in Jericho. And geographically, this is the very last city before they begin to make the ascent into Jerusalem for the Passover. The third thing you need to know is that this is Jesus' last interaction before he begins the journey to his death. This is the very last interaction he has before he enters Jerusalem in the triumphal entry where people are praising him for being Messiah. And so, I would like to invite you to stand, if you are able, for the reading of the word. Then they came to Jericho, Jesus, that we would see you today, that you would speak to us in a new way, that we would hear your question, what do you want me to do for you? I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. So today, I am going to ask you to do something that you might might not have a very strong context for. We are engaging in a narrative or a story. And so to enter this story as best we can, I'm going to ask you to put yourself in the place of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is blind. He is a beggar. He is expendable in society. He is completely dependent on others for income, for protection, for provision. Physically, he is incredibly de- vulnerable. Socially, he is incredibly vulnerable. And today, you are him. Now, I am going to do a little bit of an exercise today to help us um, maybe connect with that a little bit more. Um, I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird, so you don't have to worry. You don't have to like get up and talk to anyone. You're just going to be sitting there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I am going to ask you to engage your imagination a little bit. And so to enter this story, I would invite you to close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths and let yourself, as best as you can, get lost in the story. Be aware that you can't see right now. You are Bartimaeus. You are sitting outside of the city gates. It's hot today. You feel a drop of sweat roll down your back. You reach out to make sure your cloak is still set out in front of you, collecting money from passers by. You feel its rough wool edges and sense relief as it is the only thing that protects you. Your attention sh- suddenly shifts as you feel flecks of dust hit your cheeks and enter your lungs as you breathe in. You hear the shuffle of feet, the murmur of voices Jesus. Did you hear that right? You've heard about this, Jesus. He heals people and casts out demons. You hear it again, Jesus. Is he in the crowd? A surge of adrenaline overwhelms you, and you can't help but call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Everyone around you is telling you to be quiet and sit down. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. All of a sudden, a quiet falls around you. You hear one voice cut through the silence. Call him. Throwing your cloak aside, you reach for a hand that helps you up, and you walk to Jesus. You may open your eyes. I would submit to you today that we are all Bartimaeus. We are all blind beggars waiting for Jesus to pass by, and oh, how we forget. Now, this is not to glorify or romanticize the reality of Bartimaeus then, or our brothers and sisters who may be in similar situations now. But it is to acknowledge that oftentimes when we pass somebody like Bartimaeus, we see them as the other. We can't relate. But today, my challenge to you is to see yourself in Bartimaeus, because I think that is what the text is inviting us to do. You see, we are all vulnerable people, created and dependent, actually made to be dependent. My best friend recently had a baby, which, side note, is weird. When your friends start having babies, especially when you knew them, like, when they had no business to take care of anybody else, (laughs) so that's great. You have a life that you're in charge of, but they're great at it, it's great. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's been wild, though, to see this little one who is like completely dependent on those around him for sight and for care and for provision and for protection, for someone to be able to interpret his cry because he can't speak. Like what a crazy thing. And you were once a baby, And so I know that we're all grown-ups now, and we've learned to care for ourselves, and maybe you're even in charge of caring for someone else, but I would submit to you that there is a piece of that that never leaves. No matter how sufficient we become, we are still dependent people. And I would say that Bartimaeus knew this, and I would also say that it drove his response. I would submit to you today that because of the knowledge of his need, Bartimaeus was the blind man that could see. So this term, son of David, that we find in this passage, this is a messianic term that's being used here. And all Messiah means is that there was a figure in Judaism and in the Old Testament that was anticipated to fulfill this promise of Yahweh, that God's reign and rule would be restored on the earth, that Israel would be restored, and Bartimaeus sees that Jesus is this person. And it's fascinating because in Mark, scholars have used this term. It's called the secret Messiah. And so all throughout this gospel, every single time Jesus acts in a way that would identify himself as Messiah, he tells people to be quiet and not to tell anyone which is super weird, but you should go and look through it yourself because you see it over and over and over again. The only time it doesn't happen is when Peter announces that Jesus is Messiah, but it was in a private setting. And this passage here is the first time it is being publicly declared over Jesus immediately before he goes into the city. And you contrast that with what is immediately preceding this where the disciples just couldn't see Jesus, and it's Bartimaeus that sees who he is and sees his nature as the Messiah. Bartimaeus was the blind man that could see. In his ability to sense his need and see the identity of Jesus, his response is absolutely fascinating to me. I would call this a progression of vulnerability. So we've already established that physically and socially Bartimaeus is like his main mark is that he is a vulnerable person. And as Jesus walks by, he begins to yell and shout without any regard of how the crowd is interacting with him. They're telling him to sit down and be quiet and he won't stop. Now I'm not advocating (laughs) that you get to act like that and to be obnoxious in your proclamation (laughs) of Jesus. But I am inviting you into Bartimaeus' heart. When was the last time you sensed the depth of your need? When was the last time you knew, without a doubt, that you were vulnerable? I would say in that moment, you could see most clearly. And his next move is even more fascinating to me. It's a minor detail, but I think it's important. He throws his cloak aside. Now this cloak that Bartimaeus would have was what was laid out in front of him to collect money, as people would give him that. By night, it protected him, it kept him warm, and he throws it off. Or in other words, he takes off what provides and protects him. If he wasn't vulnerable and needy to begin with, now it is complete. He is completely stripped bare, without sight, without protection, at the mercy of this Jesus that he has only heard about. He is figuratively standing naked before God with nothing left to cover him or distract him from his need. And so I would ask you what protects you? What keeps you from recognizing and engaging the depth of your need? Now, it can be a very scary thing to enter that reality. And more often than not, we do not go there willingly. We are usually forced there. Usually, something has to happen. So, what protects you? Your money, your friends, your marriage, your ability to walk or see your ability to provide for yourself, your ability to earn an income, your ability to market or sell yourself in a way where people will buy it. It's not just the prostitute that sells herself. Your education, your orthodox theology, your ability to do things well. What happens when that is taken off? Or better yet, what happens when you remove that? And you stand naked before God. And for some of us, maybe you're already there. And so here we stand in our frailty and need, totally vulnerable. And how does God respond? What do you want me to do for you? (laughs) I find it interesting that we are talking about need and vulnerability. And the question that God asks Bartimaeus, is what do you want? So often I don't know what I need, but I know what I want. What kind of God is this that in the depth of our need he asks us what we want? Who is this Jesus that as we holler and cry for mercy in desperation, needy and broken, hear me, see me, he stops? He calls you and he says, My girl, my boy, what do you want me to do for you? What if it is true that this is what God looks like? Now, I want to provide some clarification here. This is not about what we can get from God. I'm not trying to give you a formula that says if you are vulnerable in just the right way, you'll get what you want, because I don't think that's true, and I don't think that's present here either. See, Bartimaeus is acknowledging and operating out of his dependency and vulnerability, calling out to Jesus. He desires Jesus first, and when this is true, our desires for other things are good, and I mentioned that I grew up in church, and I'm sure some of you can relate to this, but I feel like in a lot of ways, I learned that when I want and desire, it's like bad. I learned that. And don't get it twisted, like there are some times when that is broken in us, but that is no reason to fear and avoid desire, because you've been taught to shut it down. God gives us desire. And our desires don't threaten our soul when we desire Jesus first. You're not asking your desire to do something that only God can do. They don't take us over when we are abiding in God. In this conversation of desire and want and need, I want to briefly acknowledge that this conversation might be hard for some of us. It is true that sometimes we are waiting And waiting in its nature makes you vulnerable. I would say that Bartimaeus was waiting, waiting for something to change, waiting for something to be different. To wait is to be vulnerable. And sometimes we don't get what we want, which is no doubt a hard thing. And I would say it is still best to be vulnerable in front of Jesus, even with all of that. It is still best to call out for Jesus, even with all of that. Why? Because he's good. And there are all kinds of things that I can say, but I would like to get it from the text this morning. I mentioned before that although Bartimaeus' most obvious trait in the text is his need, when somebody would see him, they would immediately think needy. And Jesus asks him what he wants. Jesus doesn't call out his need when that is the most obvious thing about him. He doesn't remind Bartimaeus of his position in society or the ways that he lacks or everything that he is not. Jesus gives him dignity by asking him what he wants. No matter what position you are in society, whether you have everything or nothing, Everybody still has want. Everybody still has desire. And by Jesus asking Bartimaeus what he wants, he elevates him. He gives him dignity. He makes him human again. That is a God that I will trust, who doesn't add shame to my need, but affirms my need and meets my need and asks me about my desire And if God affirms desire in me, then I will wait in him until it is realized in the way he desires. Rabbi, I want to see. What an obvious and ironic quest. We establish that Bartimaeus is the one that can already see Jesus. And this is made even more prevalent by the fact that in this text, Jesus doesn't actually do anything to heal Bartimaeus. He says, go, your faith healed you. He doesn't touch him. He doesn't do the mud spit thing, put it on his eyes. You know what I'm talking about? It's in a different gospel. (laughs) It's his faith that heals him. I would say that this is true for Bartimaeus because the object of his faith is Jesus. And faith that Jesus meets the need. Please don't hear and take away that the thing I am telling you to do is just to have more faith. Please don't hear that. But what I would say here is that for Bartimaeus, faith is the courage he holds to embrace and engage the depth of his need and his pursuit of Jesus in the midst of it. Put another way, faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus, that he is who he says he is, Then in Jesus we see the most f- clear picture of God. He will give you not only what you need, <coughs> but what you want. And our last glimpse of Bartimaeus is that he sees... And then he follows Jesus along the way. And that's kind of it. That's where Bartimaeus leaves our narrative. And so what does that look like for you? To engage the depth of your need, to be vulnerable in front of Jesus. To not be afraid to holler and scream out, to throw off what protects you, to come when he calls What does it look like for you to trust that he is still good, even in your waiting? For me, and the ways that getting up in front of people remind me so quickly of my need, it's to keep getting up in front of people. Because what I want is for people to know this Jesus that asks you a question in your time of need. What do you want me to do for you? And so we, as the followers of this Jesus, are called to do this for one another. That as we receive the grace and love of Jesus, we are to give that to those around us. And so what does it look like to honor the vulnerability and neediness in those around us? And can I be real for a minute? Needy people aren't pretty. Can you agree with that? (laughs) It's not pretty. It makes us uncomfortable, but I will tell you something The more aware you are of your need, the less uncomfortable you will feel around the people who are needy. Your response will be, me too. And so today we have this gift of coming forward to receive the body and the blood (coughs) of our merciful Lord. And so I'd like to invite Micah and the band to come forward. And if you are serving communion... Um, you can go ahead and come up as well. A few words of instruction. Um, What will happen, our kids are going to come forward, and one of the things that we do here for our kiddos, kiddos, we should use that more. Um, We give them honey. So what will happen is they'll come forward, and they'll have their part in the worship service. And then when they're all done, all of you are more than welcome to come to the table Um, and just come forward. There will be music playing in the background. Um, What we do is you will take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. There will be white grape juice and red wine. Gluten-free options are going to be over there. And so if you will, pray with me. God, as we come to this table today, give us the courage to take off what protects us. God, I ask that we would sense deeply the question that you ask. What do you want me to do for you as we come forward and we take of your body and blood? Thank you that you are the God who sees us, that knows us, that is not afraid of our need or desire. You want us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, friends, thank you for being here. I would say that our hearts are like onions. (laughs) That as you peel back the layers, the things that we identify ourselves with, the beautiful thing is that what remains is the love of God. That at the core of who you are, you are loved. Go in peace. Um, Oh, if you are in need of prayer, (laughs) uh, we do have a prayer team. So if that's something that you would like to receive, we'd be so honored to do that for you. That'll be right over here. So thanks, you guys. Stay for the tailgate.
0: find us online at www.awakencommunity.com, or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at Community. See you next time.